Hey, all you songbirds out there. Welcome to Tail Feather. I'm glad you joined us. I'm Nick Crutchfield, host here at Tail Feather Podcast. Uh, today, we are joined with a luminary in this industry for the no and low alcohol, uh, mindful drinking, adult beverage scene. Uh, we've got the ever so admirable Noah Villanueva with us. Uh, Noah and I met at Tails, to give you a little bit of background, we met at Tails of the Cocktail in person uh, this past July. I knew immediately I was going to be friends with this guy. Um, he is a, an amazing human being, a gentle soul, a very thoughtful person. And I am beyond ecstatic to be able to have him uh, here with us today. So, Noah, can you give our listeners and our viewers a little bit of information about yourself, where you come from, and, and why you are here with us today? Wow. What an intro to live up to, Nick. That's uh, very kind of you. I <laughs> appreciate your kind words. It's lovely to see your face, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I mean... Absolutely. I'm very happy to have you. Yeah, my, my story is, is it's in some ways unique, and in some ways not unique at all. Um, it's It's been mm -hmm. a, a strange last, I guess, 15 years, which has been dominated by the food and beverage industry and hospitality with little pockets of the music industry intertwined as well. Um, I mean, I, I started in the service industry when I was 16. In uh, I started in milkshakes, and then I moved through. Oh, wow. I, 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 studied, I studied music at a degree level and then ended up working in pubs and bars throughout that period, sticky floor music venues, um, pretty rough and ready situations, serving grumpy old men craft ales and uh, lots of cider because I worked in a place called Bristol just outside of London which is very well known for its cider and then I moved into the music industry I started being an assistant on the road and kind of helping tour manage big pop tours which is very cool got to do that for a few years I'm giving a very fast-forwarded version for you um once I oh, that's fine that's fine when I when I left the music industry slash a kind of <laughs> I left slash got told to leave you know things didn't work out the way I'd intended yeah my behaviour got the better of me shall we say um I was in my early twenties yeah. I was a kid in a candy store and I decided to yeah. go work in cocktails so I got I obsessed with cocktail bars very good if if I wasn't behind the bar I was on the other side as a customer and uh, so I just dove head first into that mm -hmm. rode rise up the ranks very fast uh, in a company ended up writing menus traveling around the country opening sites training big teams just got I fell in love with like the education side of it and and kind of getting other people okay. as excited as I was about what I was doing and drinks I then got more into restaurants mm -hmm. and then the food side of things. So therefore wine became a big part of my life. Studied for my WSETs, became sommelier, started doing running wine bars and Italian restaurants. And that was, uh, yeah, like another era in my hospitality career. And then really yeah. fast forwarding through to that, you, you, we come up to April 2020, two and yeah. i i quit drinking uh which i tried to do many times before okay. yeah, um i think i knew yeah. very early on that my drinking behavior was a a little different to a lot of people around me and b was going to be an issue at some point uh, it wasn't a matter of um okay. whether i had to it was a matter of when i was going to address it and i think i hid away from that for a very long time uh, so I addressed that, uh, yeah, in 2022, and then I was like, I have no idea what to do. I'm going to have to jump ship because that, you know, I was, I'd worked with non-alc brands and I, I was aware of the no and low space, but even, you know, it's, it's moved, it's moved so much in the last two years that even two years ago, I was, I was intimidated by, uh, the idea of how I was going to be able to cope working in food and beverage or whether I'd be able to. And I'd spent the last 10 years honing skills for something that might have been completely void now. Was I going to have to just go sit in an office? And was I going to have to do something that just wasn't me in order to just uh, fit yeah. with the lifestyle I'd chosen to lead? 
that didn't sit well with me. So I took myself away. I kind of, I didn't go to a, a, a center or anything, but I used the outdoors as like a rehabilitation clinic. And I, I traveled around the West coast of Canada and the States and my family are from Canada. So I went and uh, we've got a cottage in Northern Ontario. I went and spent a month out there just just like taking some time and letting things sit and just trying to recalibrate because life was this whole new thing. <laughs> I had no idea how to navigate as a yeah. non-drinker. Um, and I'd spoken to different people about what sort of stuff I could do. And, and I got really lucky that a job got recommended to me um, that popped up in London and that was helping launch the UK's first mm-hmm no and low bar and shop for club soda which they've been a big entity in the uk for okay. a really long time around mindful drinking so i went and helped launch that and and was in charge of the bar side of things cocktail curation and yeah it was part of that whole project for 12 months um that takes us up okay. to october and that's where i'll pause because we can talk about what i'm up to a bit later now gotcha yeah, I, I'm excited about this uh, this session because I didn't I, I thought that we had talked about music a little bit, but I didn't know how far into it you were. I used to run sure. concert venues for a long time, so it, okay. it's really fun to to be with somebody that has followed a very similar path. I largely mm. don't drink. I'm not going to say I'm sober uh, because I will taste for trainings, like if I'm studying for WSET or WSET, um, or if I am um, analyzing, I'll taste and spit. Uh, and I do like the occasional glass of bubbles. And if you've watched one of these episodes, you know that at this point. Um, <laughs> but I, I largely don't drink. And I love your approach, the homeopathic approach of getting back out into nature and getting back out into the rhythm of life, pretty much, uh, instead of the one that's prescribed to us, the one that you have chosen uh, to follow. Yeah, and It takes a lot of guts for that. And it takes a lot of, a lot of introspection into what could be and that's a fearful thing, and it can be at least. And it sounds like you leaned into it, and you've come out the other side, this bright, shining diamond. And I, I love the energy that you've brought in, in what you've gone through to get where you are. Um, a, a friend of mine says there's no, there's no hero without a struggle. And we can't be our own yeah, hero like if we don't go through some sort of struggle, right? So I'm, I'm 100%. I think I, I like that's a great line. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think it is. I think I'm I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment as well because I didn't just stop drinking and then I was like, okay, time to leave the industry. I still ran a wine bar for the first three months of my sobriety. That I don't recommend people yeah. do. Like that, that was a little tough. There are yeah. better ways of doing it, but like I said, yeah. I think uh, there was part of me yeah. that always liked to kind of <laughs> really push myself to the limits. So that did that for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I would have a problem with it because I'm a flavor nerd, and I've I've got to be mm. able to record flavor, and I've got to be able to experience the textures and aromas and 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 taste. Um, so it's that's that's been my hard curtail of. But what if I don't get to 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 smell something that I've smelled a thousand times before again? So it, it's just weird. Um, <laughs> you are based in the UK. Excuse me for my cough. I've still got the tail end of a cold. Um, you're based in the UK, uh, as you said, London, Bristol, that kind of mid region of, of England, I guess. Um, what, when we look at evolution of the no and low aspects, and I do want to take, and I've done this before and I'll do it a thousand times more in the, these episodes, no and low are two different things. We're going to pay respect to both of those things in separate aspects. Uh, we might refer to them as the no and low movement going forward through this episode, but. I do want the listeners and the viewers to understand that they are two very separate things. No means a sacred space. It means no alcohol. It means uh, the legal definition in most countries is 0.5% ABV. I love the, the, the little things that pop up now. Uh, 0.5% ABV or lower. In some countries, it's 0.7 or 0.07. So uh, whatever that country's legal definition is what we'll pay respect to. But henceforth, we will lump them in but not as like low as a safe space for sober because it's not there's alcohol for, for sure there's alcohol yeah. and i mean the, in the low space it's just a mindful consumption model 
yeah, the lines are becoming increasingly more um, apparent as well. Not that it's like against each other, but the low yeah. space is is no. developing very quickly, and lots of products are coming to market very fast in mm -hmm. the low space. So it'll be a lot easier for people to differentiate. But yeah, I agree. Right, right. Yeah, and it, I I don't think that they need to be separate from each other because it's I'm all about inclusive hospitality. The show is about inclusive hospitality and making sure that everyone has a seat at the table. Unless you're acting up and causing problems for people, then you can wait outside until you can act like an adult. <laughs> but yeah. as far as like having seats at the table, we want everyone to feel welcome. Um, that's why I got into this side of the business. So in the UK, what are, ma what are some of the major shifting sands that you experience um, when it comes to the non-ALK and the low ABV movements? Low ABV movements. Say that five times. Fast. <laughs> Well, if we're talking about, you know, like the last 18 months, the UK has really taken it in its stride. The increase in visibility of products, not just existing, but existing on trade in bars mm -hmm. and restaurant menus, on supermarket shelves, nationwide, adverts on trains, okay. buses, planes, sporting events. It's like a completely... Wow. You know, we are miles ahead of where we were two years ago. It it okay. feel it's difficult because I do think I exist in somewhat of an echo chamber. Uh, however, it is definitely clear that the UK is more accepting of the idea of it. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's less the question why. That's being asked less. It's more what and how. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest change I've seen is just the fact people's mindsets have changed a lot. And post-COVID, I, I think that has had an impact on people's outlook regarding physical and mental well-being and, and, and alcohol's impact on that. And yeah, I, because the UK is, just like, is so ingrained with booze culture, and don't get me wrong, it's still an extremely boozy country, but there is definitely a, a big conversation happening now across all age groups. It seems like more people have been affected by it, whether that's on a personal level, you're definitely within two degrees of separation of somebody who is moderating or have stopped or is thinking about stopping or has had issues. You know, it, it, it's touching lives of everyone and it feels less judgmental uh, again, I'm not speaking mm -hmm. on behalf of all circles, but it does feel like for a lot, I can walk into a lot more pubs now and order a non-alcoholic drink, feel included and not feel like I'm being judged for drinking it. Not, you know. Um, yeah. The, also, the UK has just had a uh, stupend, stupendous amount of products be like produced here in the last few years. Yeah, a lot of a incredibly really good product mix in that country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it also feels yeah, like I... it, it feels like the UK palette has also changed a lot in the last five years. I, I think five years ago, even the idea of something like an Aperol would have really tripped people up, and they would have been like, "That's too bitter." Oh, wow. But uh, it was especially strange okay. because of our neighbours who <laughs> Spain, Italy, right. France, Germany, Everything all of these countries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's so much bitter flavor, like extremity of flavor. I even think of like a super acidic Riesling, you know, like the, there are yeah. such a wider range of palates in other countries, but the UK has, has, has had, they've reduced their continuum of, of op, like flavor options to a really small amount, but now it's expanded and people are like into bittersweet flavors and, and people are looking for aperitif and oh, people wow. are looking for Amaro. So obviously there's always been a culture around that, but it's been significantly yeah. smaller. It's been brought to the mainstream now and you can see things that are that Carmine Campari read on a shelf and people kind of understand a bit better what that means and are seeking it out. So that's been a nice perfect storm as well where i think more okay. of a value has been put on quality and range of flavor okay so you've got more options better options 
and more and better accepting palettes, which is kind of the perfect storm for new product development. And you've got some really interesting distilleries in the alcohol side of world uh, side of the world popping up in England too, and uh, even some non out uh, production companies that are making some very very cool things there. And um, I'm I'm excited to get back across and see what's going on in the UK uh, firsthand. Uh, hopefully that'll happen sometime in the fall. Um, Great man. Year. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, well, I'll, I'll be I do here. want to make this. Yeah, I I can't wait to see you in your country. Um, but maybe it tails first. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, good Fingers luck. Crossed good on those seminars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, being that we're not a medical show, I want to make sure that people understand we're not handing out medical advice. This is that blurb. Uh, just science-based facts as much as we can. We'll talk about physiology and biological systems and whatnot. Um, uh, but I do want to know what the UK and the European communities think about the rise of the functional category. So here in the US, and I told you a pre-show that we talk a little bit about here, there, and maybe a little bit of the, the EU, but I do want to ask about adaptogens, functional beverages, stuff like Rishi, Kava, um, CBDs, whatnot. Here in the States, as you know, things are kind of opening up for prohibition of other adaptogens, and that some of the states have uh, full-blown access to things, and then some have very limited access, and then some have zero, uh, depending on like psychotrophic elements for adaptogenics. Um, and I don't really want to touch into those so much because those are still federally illegal. Uh, but I do want to touch more on like the functionals such as Rishi or Kava or mud water kind of things, but just that kind of Chaga Chino kind of aspect. Yeah. Like, what is well, the the UK market like for uh, functionals? It's safe to say the UK is significantly further behind the West Coast of the States on this, or let's say the US in general. Okay. Um, I do. Maybe okay. I'm biased. I think the UK non-alc scene is, is booming and one of the best of the world right now. But when it comes to functional beverages, it's slightly behind the curve compared to the States. Um, and I think some of that, okay comes with a history around law and flexibility of certain drug laws. I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to go down that path, but yeah. I do think there's a different mindset no. because of our government's different takes on certain things. Therefore, the UK yeah. is just a little stunted in that growth area. So we're really only just coming. Okay. I mean, this year we really saw a huge uh, peak for cbd drinks absolutely people are like getting on board with it and understanding it now and like oh what does this mg mean versus this mg so you see cbd drinks in like meal deals in sainsbury's and tesco's like our major supermarkets so they are a mainstream product now however the right. government is has already come out and said this is not a safe amount uh, regarding milligram so there are, there's already a bit of like a clamping down on it because it was having such success. You know, I, I think the last year, 18 uh, months, okay. you couldn't even get on a train in the UK and not see a can of X, Y, and Z brand. There's a few household names now in the CBD category, yeah. CBD yeah. soft drink category, who've done very well. So that's, that's kind of yeah. where CBD sits. But then outside of that, in more functional adaptogenic products, there is... Definitely a buzz, but it's not mm -hmm. mainstream. It still feels a little bubbling away under the surface. There's some incredibly good people making some really cool beers and teas and wines and stuff with mushrooms. Um, it's a very good mushroom beer brand that I love out of Wales. And um, yeah, people are like slowly starting to understand what is lion's mane? What is reishi? What do these okay. do? What do the properties like have? What am I putting in my body? You know, I used to advise people when, when people would come into the club soda shop and be like, what are all these? What is ashwagandha? What is valerian? What is lemon balm? And, yeah. you know, we have a health food store here called Holland and Barrett. And, and it's, it's kind of where you'd find all of these things historically for the last two decades. You know, they've always been there, but they've been in teas or like cereal bars yeah. and chocolates and stuff. So, but 
there isn't a massive crossover of people in, in these two places. So when we start seeing adaptogenic based ingredients in more mainstream places, people have no idea what this is. And, and it, education is the buzzword mm -hmm. here. I think education is a keyword around the non-alcoholic space, but yeah. so important when it comes to the mood altering adaptogen space, because some of those words are scary and confusing. And even when they're explained to you, it's like, then, yeah. but then how much can I have? Like, can I drive? You know, there's a lot of unanswered questions and, and there, there probably isn't enough regulation yeah. around labeling and understanding the whole picture. So yeah, there's not enough education, which is, I, I think, why the UK is slightly behind on that. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard yeah. too, though, because like it, everyone's personal systems, it hits differently, right? So like if, if I were to have five milligrams of CBD, I'm asleep. But if my friend Andrew, who lives up in DC, has like 25 milligrams, it takes that to put him to sleep. So it's, or not to sleep, but just, you know, just chill. So it, yeah, it's, for sure. it's such a strange, undiscovered, largely science. Like we're still trying yep. to figure it out. And I, I don't disagree with you. I think some more regulation is probably not a bad thing for right now, at least until we fully understand it. Um, that's just my take on it. Not professional by any means. Um, yeah, same. When, when um, you look yeah. at the on-premise uh, for... And, and for those of you that don't know what on-premise, off-premise is, off-premise would be like grocery stores, bottle shops, retail. Uh, on-trade or on-premise would be like restaurants, bars, pubs, event venues, so forth. So when we look at the on-premise or on-trade in the UK with uh, the non-alc and low space, it doesn't matter if it's functional or, or non-functional. You had mentioned that people are past the why. They're past that... Um, that judgy kind of nonsensical bullshit that we have to go through when we're first start stopping to drink. So I went about a year and a half without having anything. People are like, why aren't you drinking? And I'm like, well, it's really none of your business. But yeah. here's why, since you asked. Um, so you're in the how and the what phase, which is a really good phase to be in. Um, what are like the maybe the top three or four things that you see systems-wide that the everyday because you and i are in a microcosm of cocktail culture like we we understand the intricacies of it and nerd out on like all of the the biochemical level things right so when i'm average joe or susie or kevin or karen or whatever words we're using these days and i go into a pub or a bar what are like the three or four things that people can i'm not going to say expect because you, you know you don't expect something you don't get your your feelings hurt but something that can be maybe more common that they'll find in the non-alc. Is it still beer and wine or is it evolving into cocktails now? Uh, I think when we're talking about the UK, beer is, is, is a safe bet. I think most premises mm -hmm. are going to have a beer option when it comes to a non-alcoholic option. Mm -hmm. If you go into the middle of nowhere, duck and dog, you know, random a two hour drive from here let's say we pull up to a country pub likelihood is they're going to have at least one non-alcoholic beer because somebody's going to be driving to that venue right that's their only trail of thought i'm oh, not thinking okay. any further outside of that they might have a section that says mocktails and it might be a cranberry juice with lime and peach syrup and it's like okay you've got two options <laughs> um again yeah. when we talk about living in a microcosm like I live in London, like the epicenter of cocktail culture in Europe. And we have some of the best bars at our fingertips here who have mind-blowingly good NA versions of cocktails, right? So yeah, I am trying to think on a, on a UK-wide basis that there is going to be a beer and there's going to be some form of non-alcoholic alternative to a cocktail. Um, wine, there's a lot of work to do, but I truly believe 2024, yeah. we're going to see huge growth in that when it comes to the on-premise. Yeah. Um, I like to think I have a lot of work to do there. We'll be uh, pushing lots of AF wine alternatives into the UK on-premise market next year because there's a demand for it now. You know, people, good. and for good reason, for a really long time, there was a lot of bad stuff out there. There's a lot of really badly, poorly made, low-quality stuff out there. But now we have technology is advanced people are coming up with really unique ways to make incredible beverages in the wine alternative space this isn't just de-alcoholized wine this is like ferment fermentation styles using different teas all sorts of things that doesn't just have to be wine but suits that wine occasion 
I think we're going to see huge growth in that in terms of menu visibility. Um, I feel like I'm straying slightly from your original okay. question, but no, not at all. Not at all. I, I think it's, it gives people an idea of what to like, if we have listeners that are in the UK, they can go, okay, I can probably count on a beer. I can start to look forward to wine. And if yeah. I'm in a pub in a more Metroplex kind of region, I can maybe look for a spritz or a highball or a sour or something along those lines. Possibly. Yeah, that's it. And that's I it. think and... that you, you've given a pretty good synopsis of, of what that might look like right now. You know what else gives a good synopsis, Noah? Tell me. Uh, our ads. Our ads give us a good synopsis because without our ads, I can't fund this show. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are powered by Liars Not Alcoholic for the entire first season. We're going to pause here, go to a commercial break, uh, grab some water, whatnot, and then we're going to talk systems when Noah VI return in just a couple of, uh, actually a few seconds, I guess. See you in a few. The Liars Non-Alcoholic Pink Spritz. I taste the world through rose-colored glasses. Delicious. Stay spirited. Make it a Liars. Hey, welcome back, folks. Hope you enjoyed that little teaser from uh, our friends at Liars Non-Alcoholic. Uh, in this session, in this part of the session, I want to talk about the systems. Because uh, I really, you and I have run venues, we've done trainings, we have done everything on the hospitality side and now in the brand work. Um, what kind of systems, because I always look at when I approach uh, a business with a non-alcoholic product, I need to have some solutions in mind, right? Like I need to go in, do a little scouting, see what they offer, see what they don't offer, uh, see how I can do something that's within their price point that, that won't scare them, one, and two, that actually helps them generate better and more income, right? And maybe even evolve their 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 guest list a little bit. So when we look at the systems that bars can implement to help their guests discover these modes of consumption, uh, the menu obviously comes to mind for me, right? Like you've got to have a menu. Uh, people aren't going to know names if they can't read them or feel them or hear them, right? So um, depending on your your capabilities. So what are some of the systems that you think are hyper important to, especially in your part of the world? Um, to the movements so that people can gain access and better access to these uh, products? Well, I think for the most part, if we are talking about nine out of 10 people, it's making sure there is visibility on a menu. It sounds so simple, but it really will be the difference in a huge portion of, of a proprietor making money. If, if yeah. you have, a fridge full of non-alcoholic beer and you have three non-alcoholic spritzes that you can make but nothing's on the menu that's just money down the drain like are you just expecting people to guess people already feel awkward and nervous and uncomfortable in a venue sometimes let alone if they're not drinking and they're like oh my god what can i drink i'm just gonna get a soda water because it's, it's i know they'll have that if you're not providing right. these options they don't know it's there you're missing out on significant increase in money. Um, so that's number one, making sure it's actually just listed somewhere. If, if, if you yeah. want that to be something more, then it can be much more exciting. If you have a fully fledged cocktail menu and you have 12 amazing cocktails on there, it is totally up to you and your brand of how you style it. But you know whether you make this cocktail non-alcoholic, can you have something that just signifies that on there? or whether you have completely unique non-alcoholic cocktails that you add to the start or the end or mixed in between, totally up to you, whatever works for you. I just think it makes sense that people can know that there is options for them. That is the key. Um, and, How and crazy depending... is it to go into places and still not see drinks on menus? How nuts is that to you? Like, it, it, yeah. Sorry for interrupting, I, but it just no, no, no. It still makes my head skip a little bit. Yeah, and... I guess we're, it makes our head spin more because we can see the bottles on the back bar that are not like a non-alcoholic spirit, for example. And we're like, but it's, but uh, yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. And, and it can be an intimidating space for people building menus, for people who don't have an understanding or a background in how to compose non-alcoholic cocktails. But you know what? I think we need to break down that barrier as well and yeah. help people understand that it's not like, it doesn't have to be this crazy, like eight, 
ingredient cocktail with like this yeah. tincture and like this and that and this and this crazy garnish yeah. like no it has to be well thought through but it can be two ingredients and be incredible it can be three ingredients yeah. and be beautiful and it, inclusivity is is the key here so yeah like find the right products that suit your menu quality and then understand how to use them but hopefully there's more and more people working for brands like ourselves now who can come and talk to people about it and show them how to use it but yeah i just think there isn't an excuse anymore no matter what level of skill level your bar team are you can have mm. a good non-alcoholic option that's delicious for everybody every walk of life and uh it doesn't need to be complicated like yeah a spritz a highball a perfect serve is just just you know more, <laughs> more people are walking into bars and ordering like a gin and tonic than some elaborate artisanal cocktail you know when we're talking about all of the bars in the uk so yeah 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 i think again we live in a microcosm and you know not everything's the last word or an ocho palabra or or yeah, exactly. a, a chartreuse swizzle like i love all those things but they all don't need to be that like still yeah, the best yeah. ingredient or the best cocktails in the world are three or four ingredients and i think yeah, that's totally. true into the the non-alcoholic model um having said all that and you you've got like a generalization of of these expectations what do these models do for like you know being in smaller brands now uh even though we have large footprints uh, working with brands that aren't multi-billion dollar companies, you have a different set of parameters you work in, right? So when I look at uh, group operations, like models for larger scale operation groups where they might have 15, 20, 30, 40 different stores either spread across a region or across the globe, it's it's a different approach because it has to match maybe seven or eight different concepts inside of one company. Um, do you think that there's do you still think that like the riff model works? Like if I if I give you five blueprints, but they work across seven stores, and all you have to do is twist X, Y, and Z in the blueprint to produce, is because you can do that with cocktails. And for those of you listening and watching, that's largely what a lot of groups do. We'll take a, a blueprint and we'll adjust it and and give it a new name and a new liquor, and it's something else, right? Which is what we're supposed to do. Um, the not out cocktails. Again, people, you just said it, and I think I'm answering my own question. People are making it more complicated than it needs to be, right? So it's it's not as crazy as, it's not reinventing the science. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's not reinventing these blueprints. It's tweaking them and adjusting them so that the drinks stay in balance. And I, when you look at those larger series of spaces like a venue, like maybe a concert venue, um, do you think that the Negroni style model is best or do you think it's those GNTs, those RTDs, those super approachable, super easy things on the large format uh, spaces? My God, am I wordy today? Uh, it depends on the style of venue. I think first and foremost, you know, it can be big, but still different. If we're talking about concert venue versus cocktail bar chain, then I think right. slightly different approach. Right? right. You need you need quick and fast and easy lack of ingredients versus, OK, we've got a few more things to work with here. We have space and equipment and uh, training built into our mm -hmm. staff to be able to deal with slightly more complicated serves. So I don't think it's one size fits all. What I do think across the board is necessary is and if I said it once, I'll say it a million times, is education and making sure it's part of the program of training. If you have any form of training that involves telling your bartenders what your house vodka is or your house rum is, then you need to be also telling them what this non-alcoholic product is, what it is, what it tastes like, how do you use it, where does it come from, what's it called? Because, again, there's nothing that saddens me more as seeing that bottle on the back bar and asking for it you know, think about that person who's built up the confidence to be like, oh my God, I recognize that bottle. Can I have one of those? And the bartender's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. We don't have that. It's like, but I can see it. It's so, right there. <laughs> yeah, it's really important for the yeah. person looking after the liquids on your back bar to just know it exists yeah. and how it exists and why it exists. Well, both of us are educators, so you brought this up, so I want to bring it up and I'm going to skip part of the next section because I, I think it's an important thing for us to talk about. 
education, uh, awareness, advocacy, all these things kind of live together. And when we're looking at educational systems um, and we're talking about education and especially these new uh, newcomers into our field, because I'm an old timer, right? So like I had, I had a literal Rolodex of cards for recipes behind the bar for a long time. Um, nice. Thank God for Evernote and everything else that came early on in, in the days. Um, what style of learning should we be concentrating on for, for the current uh, hospitality professionals and the ones that are just entering, right? Because you see things like uh, web-based trainings that they can do on the bus on the way to work. You've seen still the workbooks, certifications, so forth. What do you think the most effective educational foundations are? Not foundations, but apparatus. apparatus. Yeah. It's a really good question, and and again, not to like swerve one answer, but I, it, there's no way it can be as easy as saying it is just one style right. of, of training, right? I, I think you either build build in a multifaceted style of doing it, mm-hmm. or you have different options on hand to give to different people who have different styles of learning. I certainly know if you give me a physical handbook where I have to read, I'm going to struggle to come in the next day and replicate a lot from it. But if you give it to me as a video format or an audio format, because that's how I consume things better, I'll come back Mm -hmm. and I'll be able to do that very easily, replicate it. So, yeah, I guess it's down to the company understanding what resource they have to their disposal and the best way to roll Mm -hmm. that out. I guess there has to be some unique takes on this. There's mm-hmm. also just a lot of stuff that's built in with brands, you know? So there is a good rapport yeah. once these brands are locked in. Okay, speak to Nick. He has this video and this video on how to make these two drinks that we've got on the menu for the next three months. Great, you know? Yeah. It it gives it a bit more personality. I, you know, it can't be ignored that I think we're probably moving away from slightly the way we used to learn how to make drinks in terms of uh, like reading books or, or what have you. Like, yes, there's still a place for that, but it feels like we're living in naturally a more like technology driven world. Therefore, yeah, I can't be ignored that training is going to be uh, based around that too, right? I think I think about training a lot and especially the future proofing of it because um, I, I think that you know, textbooks are important. And when you lose books, you start to lose information. But I think the trainings are, and this is where like the model of the brand ambassador, like we, we've talked about this on some other episodes where the brand ambassador model is dying and the, the cam and the rams are kind of being repurposed into these roles. Um, but education is still at the forefront of importance for advocacy because you are getting that tactile moment. And I think that's what you're getting at is that there's tactile I need to be able to touch it, smell it, feel it, and understand it because I am serving something that is all of these physical and emotional yeah. things to another another human. And they're gonna yeah. they're gonna have an input and output to whatever they're consuming. And I think like something that's on demand and tactile at the same time is probably where the future's gonna have to, to yeah, be I think that's accessibility. It. I think that's yeah. where the brand ambassador isn't dead, is because the accessibility to somebody so that you can ask questions. Yep. Everyone knows if you've met me, hit me up on WhatsApp. I'm going to get back to you in 48 hours or less. Um, if I'm out in the middle of a jungle somewhere, which oddly enough happens pretty often with me, <laughs> or out in the mountains somewhere on a coast where I don't have access, the minute that I get back, I check my messages and I always prioritize my network and my community's questions so that I can help them help others, right? So. Yeah. Um, take advantage if you're listening to this or watching this. Take advantage of that access to people like Noah and like myself and like others that you'll see on this season, because we want to share this information. We want to help you help others. That's a lot of our reasons for even doing this kind of work. Um, yeah, 100%. which pulls us into the lifestyle section of this of this talk, and I do want to talk about um, flavor. Flavor builds trust, as my good friend Dave Broom would say. Uh, flavor is trust. If I give you a pizza mm-hmm. and you're expecting a margarita and I've snuck some sardines or some some anchovies or something in there and you don't like anchovies, we, we've got a trust issue at that point, right? Because you're expecting margarita, but you're getting something with fish on it. 
I would like it, but not everybody else would. So when Night Owls are massively, and I mean massively, reliant on flavor because we're recreating an experience for someone. If you are an adjacent, if you are somebody that has not experienced alcoholic beverage before or cocktail culture before, which about 12% of the world hasn't, then it's a new experience for you. It's a, it's a flavor trip. It's a texture trip. It's an aromatic explosion. What are some of the ways that companies can future-proof their products? I, we've talked about education. I think that has to be factored into it. But when we look at future-proofing products for the evolution of the industry and as technology advances, the products are going to advance, right? So like, yep. let's give it like a 12-month, 14-month snapshot. Like, where, Where's your head at with that? It's, I mean, quality is, I mean, yeah, flavor. I think also a synonym could be quality. It's so important now. Mm. So many products on the market. I always compare it to like, just because everybody can record an album in their bedroom and upload it to SoundCloud does not mean (laughs) that it's better than, you know, just because there's more doesn't mean there's more that's better. The cream's always going to rise to the top. And yeah. I kind of see a similarity with non-alc, yeah. right? We're going to have to come to a point yeah. where it's not oversaturation. It's not that. It's just we're going to have to start to differentiate about who's putting the real care into the quality of the liquids and the stuff that, that mm-hmm. doesn't need to fade away. Just there's a no. difference. And I think the attention to detail with quality and traceability from start to finish is really important. I think that's part of future-proofing it. I think people are going to put more of an importance on what they're buying. You know, we've seen it in food. We've we've seen it with people changing their eating habits. If they're eating less meat, they put more of an, you know, and again, this is not everyone. This is people who are in a privileged enough position to be able to choose where their meat comes from. I start yeah. to see some of that in drinks. People concerned about sugar content. How is this made? What's the sustainability aspect of it? You know, there's huge bars with massive sustainability programs now who won't even consider you if you don't have X, Y, and Z in place around the sustainability of your product. So I think those are those yeah. two, two huge ones really is how it like complete transparency around how it's made and what's going on inside the liquid and um how are you looking after the world alongside that i think those are two huge tick boxes that are going to be uh even more monstrously important in 14 months i can appreciate that fully and i appreciate your answer fully which is also going to make me appreciate the next part of this because i'm throwing you on the grill my friend it's time for the impromptu (laughs) question uh, oh, so if you've watched this show before, this is Kevin. toy episode three. Yeah, this 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 is not what you thought was coming because I just skipped like three parts of the session. Uh, yeah. The uh, the parts that we're skipping, we've already covered in full, and it, it's just uh, reiterating. Uh, so I'm I'm giving you, I'm a VC person, right? Except put a blazer on me and a white T-shirt and a, a more funky hat and and. Uh, I live in Cupertino or, or Mountain View or some shit. So I'm a big VC guy. I come to you and I'm like, Noah, you're, you're, you're fucking brilliant in this. Uh, I, I love what you do. I want you to create a brand. I want you to create a non-alcoholic product and or company. And I, I'm going to fund it endlessly. What are you going to bring to life? I know that's a loaded question. What are you going to bring to life and why? And if you don't feel comfortable answering this, I've got one in my back pocket that I can give to you and I'll mark and edit this entire thing out. I'll say mine, but I would like to hear yours after as well. Um, okay, right on. I think the, the, the idea itself is not creative whatsoever. I think the why is the reason I'm doing it, which benefits the category. Um, having a background in wine, and still so much passion for the wine category and mm-hmm. so much uh, passion for like wanting it to be better in terms of inclusivity and growth or in just every way. I, I, I will make the, the ultimate perfect red wine that shuts everyone up. That just, everybody says, but there needs to be a good alcohol-free red wine. I just do that and I just, and then finally everyone has an answer. 
this isn't this isn't i yeah. don't want to blow my job i just yeah. want to stop the conversation so we can all get on with our lives and just carry on moving this category <laughs> forward because it's like every yeah. conversation yeah. Is like, yeah but when is there going to be a good alcohol free red well yeah if we make that then then we can just carry on and and everyone will have their alcohol free yeah. red right so that's what i'm making yeah. <laughs> right on i i love that answer it's uh it's you, that's the thing that we talk about, right? Behind the doors, when when we're done drinking for the day, drinking all the non-alcoholic cocktails, and and maybe having a lager or two here and here and there, it's the one thing everyone misses is a really and there's some good ones out there, but you're right. Yeah, there, that's there not me. Like that definitive one, right? Yeah, it it's not me. Um, and I don't think anybody. Yeah. yeah, I'm not poo-pooing the category. I'm not like no. there is a ton of alcohol-free no. reds that I actually really enjoy. I'm not dismissing it. I work yeah. with some. I love them. I genuinely do. Yeah, I think there's a place for them. Yeah. I just think, can there be one universally that everyone can just agree on? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like there's there's certain categorical signifiers inside of traditional spirits that when you say X spirit, this comes to mind. And mm. I, I think same thing with some of the, like when you say California Chardonnay, you're thinking big butter bombs. There's two or three that really come to mind, right? So yeah. um, I'll give you the other one since you, you were game for it. Um, yeah. I, I'm not out this late anymore. I found myself out this late once uh, when we were in Lisbon, and that's because we were out with friends um, in the past four months. But at last call, it's last call, right? And if you're watching the show, you've seen this question. It's one of my favorites. I actually ask this in interviews uh, when I'm building teams. It's last call. Um, I don't care about your drink at this point. I want to know what the last song that you put on the jukebox is at last call. How are you walking or sashaying or sauntering out of that bar at last call? Is this a question for me? Are you asking me that? Oh, yeah. That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. You know we could like do a whole other podcast just me answering that. Like oh, I, know. I could go I know. on this question. I, I feel like we maybe <laughs> should next season. We'll we'll just we'll, we'll we'll dedicate an entire episode to just last call songs and why. Perfect. Yeah. That might I actually that. be a fun episode. I'm, it's actually a really good podcast so idea. A, yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Um well, hmm. I feel like I want to give two answers, not to cheat, but I want to have one okay. as a punter and I want to have one as a bar owner because the, okay. I have, I have so many good memories of like last order songs when I, when I was in charge of the, the playlist. Um, but it's also like signifies that you're closing and I've seen many people try many different methods. There, there's, I think there's a classic, probably 10 that people rotate um, in, yeah. <laughs> in, well, the, the last two I remember doing, uh, Rocket Man by Elton John was like that. Whenever oh, I hear that, I great. think of a closing song. It feels like a really good closing song. Um, and then most recently, really I, I was doing Avril Lavigne's I'm With You. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which all is right. an absolute emotional banger. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. But I think if, okay. it's, if I'm a punter, I want something long. So I'm choosing a long song, and I want something I can yeah. sing a lot to. Realistically, we're looking at something like yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, aren't we? Yeah, I think we are. If, if you want people going out on an up, right? Yeah. You know, like yeah. They're, they're carrying on to maybe the after hours or to a diner or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm right I, there with you on that. Yeah, I could have said Tom Waits. I could have said much more morose things. Mm. But I just, yeah. I just don't want to end my night yeah. like that anymore. Yeah, I'll save that for my funeral. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I've already got my playlist built for the funeral, and Stacy's like, "There's a lot of metal on this." I'm like, "It's gonna be a party." So that's great. Make sure. Yeah, it's, nice. Make sure it's this playlist. It's hip hop, metal, and countries. Yeah, honky tonk. So have Boom. fun with that. Uh, and some some uh, brass thrown in there. Right on. Yeah. Really good answer. All right, because. so uh, this is the plug section. <laughs> this is, I am, oh, mine for right now. I don't know why, but I just, I see the entire bar lighting up when I say this and singing in unison. Um, the Circle of Life from Lion King. I, I don't know <laughs> nice. why, but I really want to see that happen at last call. 
to just see everybody singing it together in unison as they they waddle out of the bar. I think that'd be amazing. Incredible. Um, so That's this a good is the, idea. the plug section. You get to mention anything that you want to, anything you're working mm. on, speaking engagements, new projects, anything that you want the public to be aware of. This is your time for it. Cool, man. I mean, yeah, I didn't fully uh, kind of finish where I was at in my career. So I guess that's the thing to promote now because it's what's going on. It's the new thing to plug that I'm doing is I, I'm the new portfolio ambassador it for is. Core Drinks. That's K-O-R-E, Core Drinks in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's amazing. I say congratulations. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Everybody else so, is hearing clapping and cheering in the background. Exactly. We're a, we're a non-alc uh, focused drink sales agency. So we look after uh, drinks of, of a variety of ABVs, but I am in charge of all now and low products. And we're going to have a very exciting 2024 by improving visibility uh, across often on trade for a variety of amazing premium products that we think deserve way more uh, attention. And just start to help normalize it keep on you know as much as i am selling i am also always advocating and educating because it all is in tandem isn't it so yeah that's what's going on i've just got a a busy year ahead with with that really um yeah and you can you can find us and myself on on instagram pretty easily so you you just see all the information going on on there people find you on instagram uh no people find you on instagram that's at Noah Villeneuve underscore uh, V-I-L-L-E-N-E U-V-E and at Core underscore okay. drinks as well. Yeah. And Core is with a K? Core with a K. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Well, as you know, I'm Nick Crutchfield. Uh, you can find me on and uh, Tail Feather podcasts on all of the podcast things across the entire universe and on YouTube podcasts. Um, you can, uh, look for us every other week. Uh, we're going to be starting January 2nd. No, actually this will air on January the 30th, my birthday. Uh, so this is a pretty cool birthday. Hell yeah. Present. Um, well, happy birthday, you, Nick. There we go. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, I will be in Thailand on the way to a elephant sanctuary on this day. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to. I, I give back a, a week of vacation every year to do something. So we're going to go work on an elephant refuge to help clean and in, in, in the rehabilitation process, which really Very means cool. shoveling a lot of stuff and, and prepping food, which is fine. Um, <laughs> on the off weeks of, of Tail Feather, we have something called One Good Thing. So what will happen in between now and when you uh, have seen this? I will have listened to it. I will have found something very inspirational and positive inside of the episode. And I will have given you a 20-minute diatribe, 15 to 20-minute diatribe on the following week. So in a week from now, you'll hear me talk about something that Noah touched on that touched my heart. Mm. And I will talk about it in depth on one good thing. And that happens on the off weeks of Tail Feather. And without any further ado, thank you for our songbirds for showing up, tuning in, and listening and watching. Uh, what we have to share with you. That's a wrap. Put a feather in my hat from the nest. This is Nick Crutchfield, Tell Feather. Noah, UK extraordinaire. We'll see you next time on Tail Feather. Have a great day, everyone. The Liar's Non-Alcoholic Pink Spritz. I taste the world through rose-colored glasses. Delicious. Stay spirited. Make it a liar's.